take your Bibles and turn to Genesis, right at the beginning of your Bible, Genesis 13. Genesis chapter 13. Have you been in any, in any fights this week? Maybe not like a real fight, you know, throwing punches. I hope that you haven't been in any of those. I didn't see any black eyes as you were coming in. Um, you should see the other guy. <laughs> but fights happen, right? Maybe not fist fights, but squabbles and conflicts and you know, we, we rub up against each other, and things just don't always go well. When I was in, uh, helped with the youth ministry up in Illinois, I learned that in high school, the thing that they call it now is drama. They talk about drama. Have you heard this? There's always tons of drama. Maybe you see that at, at your workplaces. It's not just high school students, but th there's conflict. People, we, we, we just, we get together, and sometimes it's like oil and water. We just repel one another. Something happens, something little, something big, and there's there's conflict. Praise God, he addresses that issue. He tells us how to deal with it. And we find it in, in what seems like an unlikely place in Genesis 13. You know, in just a, a chapter and a half, from we, we started in chapter 11, we, we've learned a lot about Abram. And we've learned a lot about God in the midst of this. We've seen Abram's unlikely background, right? We've seen how God blessed him, actually, in, not in spite of, but because of this unlikely background. He glorifies himself by, by blessing Abram. We've seen uh, the kindness of God, the promise that he makes to Abram, how kind that is. And then we watch Abram as he responds in faith. He, he walks, he leaves his homeland, he sets up altars and worships the Lord. We've seen his faithfulness. And then last week we saw his faithlessness. We saw him doubting, just not trusting God's plan, trusting himself. And in the midst of that, how God remained faithful. And God continued to bless Abram, even in the midst of his faithlessness. And so last week we ended up um, with a humbled Abram. We said kind of with his tail between his legs, heading back north in, out of Egypt and back into the land of promise see that just in Genesis 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all he had, and lot with him into the Negev. The narrative of chapter 13 then zeroes in, and it focuses on, on two people in particular. It focuses on Abram, and it focuses on Lot, his nephew. God is obviously still the main character in the book, and, and actually we can add a fourth character if you want. The fourth character would be the land. The land is playing a prominent role all throughout, especially these early chapters in the narrative about Abram. There's, God has promised to give him a land, and, and you're always seeing, well, where is Abram going? Uh, when you read through the narrative of Abram, it's good to kind of have your finger in the back of your Bible and look at those maps, try to find out where those areas are. That's helpful to have, to know what the lay of the land is. So there's this emphasis on the land, but the two main characters, again, are Abram and Lot. Verses 1 through 5 are going to set the scene for us. They provide information that's going to, that's going to help the, the narrative unfold. It's kind of an introduction, all right? So let's read verses 1 through um, 5. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds 
and tents. We'll stop right there for a minute. Here's what we need to know. First of all, Abram is rich. Um, he has, it says it's in verse, in verse 2, he has livestock, he has silver, and he has gold. Most of this he probably got from Egypt. Remember, Pharaoh had blessed him, and he kind of came out of Egypt. Even in his faith, faithlessness, God blessed him, and he comes out with a lot of stuff. Abram's doing pretty well for himself. Not only is Abram rich, but secondly, Lot's rich. Verse 5, Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents. So whether it was the generosity of his uncle who maybe gave him some flocks and they multiplied, or uh, maybe his own ingenuity, or possibly maybe a little bit of both, um, Lot is doing pretty well for himself too. So we've got Abram who is rich. We've got Lot who is rich. And the second, the third thing that we should note is that they are back in the land of Canaan. They are, they are there, they're rich, and they're in Canaan. We just saw this picture of Abram's lack of faith, his reliance on himself. And Moses wants to make it clear, Moses, the author of the book of Genesis, wants to make it clear that Abram has gone back to the land. He's gone back to where he was in the beginning. You see that because it says he went um, from the Negev as far as Bethel. He's going back north into Canaan to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at first. You remember that? He, it's like he's returning. He's going back to where he belongs. He's going back to a place of worship and to a place of trust in God. So uh, Abram has learned his lesson. He received the discipline of the Lord. He recognized the error of his ways. He repented of his sin, and he returned to the land of promise. I'm sure that that wasn't easy for him. He's not embittered against God, though. He's, he's not pouting. He's not sitting in between Egypt and Canaan. He's not shaking his fist at God, saying, how could you do this to me? He's not planning some sort of retaliation against Pharaoh for what he had done. Abram has understood his actions, that they were faithless. He's seeing God's hand, and he is now um, he's now returning to where he belongs. Again, I don't think that was easy for Abram. But Hebrews tells us that, that no discipline is easy, but that discipline produces the fruit of righteousness. So Abram receives... He receives his punishment, you might say, like a man. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's, it's frustrating. It feels like failure. But, but if we want to be more like Christ, if we want to grow, then we need to learn how to receive discipline. We need to re learn how to receive correction. We need to learn to see when we make mistakes, when we sin, when we fail. And when God exposes those, we need to say, you know what? I was wrong. We need to get back to where we need to be. We need to repent, and we need to return to God's presence and to a place of worship. God desires us to grow. And if, he, if it takes disciplining us to get us back to where we belong, he will do it. So we need to follow Abram's example. When discipline comes, we, we go back to where we belong. We go back to the land of promise, to the place of blessing. So again, we're setting the scene, right? You've got Abram, and you've got Lot. They have all their, their wealth. They're back in the land of promise. Uh, Abram is back. He's, he's, he's been shown as trusting in the Lord. He's, he's worshiping the Lord. He's learned his lesson um, in Egypt. And so it would seem that, that things are going pretty well. And then a test arises. You remember what caused the test back in verse 10 of chapter 12? It was famine. Famine shows up. They don't have enough. What's ironic here in chapter 13 is that the test actually comes out of having too much. 
we see in verses 6 and 7 that this is the, the first main point that we'll say after the introduction is we find in verses 6 and 7 the sources and the certainty of conflict. The sources and the certainty of conflict. Read verses 6 and 7. So, is it, well, I'll start in verse 5. Uh, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdmen, herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. The sources and the certainty of conflict. In, in a fallen world, even under the best of circumstances, conflict and strife and fighting happen. We as sinful human beings, we can find almost anything to fight about. You know, we can fight about sports teams. We can fight about what restaurant we're going to go to after church. And, you know, the classic church fight, we could fight about the color of the carpet. Right? Churches split over silly things. People fight over dumb things. We just get in conflict so easily. And this is true of Abram and Lot. Everything seemed to be going well, and then conflict arises. What's the source of the conflict? Well, I think the first source is stuff. If I could just put a simple, silly word on it. The first source is stuff. Abram and Lot had too much stuff. They'd been blessed with flocks and herds and tents, and they were, they were running out of room. That seems strange, doesn't it? They're in the land of promise, two guys, and they are running out of room. Is this really the land of, of promise, or did they really have that much stuff? Well, I think verse 7, that's the point of verse 7, the end there, where it says, at that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. You remember the Canaanites and the Perizzites, they were posing this a threat. They were an obstacle that was in the land. I think Abram and Lot basically had filled up the space that they had, and they were surrounded by the Canaanites and the Perizzites on all sides, and they, they were filling up the land. They were probably taking the best pasture lands, and Abram and Lot had just, they used all the space that they had. They didn't have anywhere else to go. They were bumping up against the, the borders there. So it, it, this, is, this is the problem. They, there's, there's, too much, there's too much stuff. They, just, they have too many flocks, too many herds, too many tents, and it's getting crowded, basically. So the source of conflict we see here is is stuff. Again, it was ironic. Famine was the problem before, and now wealth is the problem. Possessions, wealth, they're, they're a blessing, but they also can cause conflict. They also become barriers between our hearts and, and others. We love our things, and sometimes we love our things more than we love other people. We want to protect our stuff. We want to guard our stuff more than we even want to guard our relationships, material possessions, they can become idols in our in our hearts. We love our homes, and and we love our yard, and we love our our cars and our clothes and our toys, and we love them so much that that conflict arises in our lives. Space is the next one, though. Not only does stuff cause conflict, but, but space is an issue. Um, it says here that they were dwelling together, their processions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Space was the problem because there wasn't enough space. There was Space became a premium, and so conflict arose. They were caring for their flocks, and they were having 
space issues. The land was a blessing. They were blessed, but there was, there was opposition. Um, I remember as a child defining my territory with my sisters. You know, you got to find out what's yours. It usually happened maybe when you're sitting on the couch, right? This cushion is my cushion, and I don't want you to touch it. Don't touch my cushion. You're in the back seat, you know. Um, in a regular car, you kind of had the, the two seats in that middle. It was supposed to be a seat, but it was about this wide. I guess it fits a, a kid. And so we would say, that's don't cross this line. This is my side of the car, and that's your side of the car. We would we would say, this is mine. And, of course, when you say that, then the other person just wants to reach across and put their finger on the other side. You know? So there were arguments that arose because of, of space. Young or old, we... We live together, we rub shoulders, and if, if we rub shoulders with enough people enough times, suddenly just generates heat and, and sparks fly. Do you remember Abram and Lot are related? Uh, Abram is Lot's uncle, so it makes perfect sense because family members, this is where conflict usually arises, isn't it? Because we live together, because we're, we're close to one another. It's, it arises amongst brothers and sisters, amongst Parents and children, and amongst husbands and wives, our closest relationships, this is where conflict, it, it shows up. This is where we deal with conflict most often. And if it's not with our family members, then it's with our co-workers and our friends. Why? Because that's where, that's who we're with. I don't have any conflict with people that I've never met. Conflict arises with people that I'm rubbing shoulders with. Now, this is why you think about something like a border dispute. Why do countries fight? Well, because they're close. We don't have conflict with countries that aren't near us. We don't have border issues with countries that are far away. But those that are, are close to us, we want to define our space. And so this happens with us too. Our stuff and our proximity, our closeness to people causes issues. It causes conflict. So stuff, they're the sources of conflict, uh, space. But, I mean, there's more than that, right? That's, that's the issue here. I think it points us and helps us to see how, how it happens with us, too. But part of the story here is that there's, there's a threat. Lot is actually a threat to Abram and to the promise that God has made to Abram. What did, what did God say he's going to do? He said, I'm going to bless you with this land. And now you've got two guys in the land. Not just, not just two, but you've also got the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And so Lot is, is posing a threat to the, to the promises of God that, that he's almost claiming an equal stake in the land. This is this is now Lot's land as well. So what's what's Abram going to do? How's he going to deal with this this threat? Remember what he did the last time that there was a threat to the promises of God when he went to the land and he got scared about what well, when he went to Egypt and he got scared, he took matters into his own hands. He said, "I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to deceive Pharaoh." What's he going to do here? Is he going to deceive Lot? Is he going to get heavy-handed? Is he going to force Lot out of the land and say, get out of here? Is he going to sit back and just kind of say, well, it's Lot's problem. I'll let him deal with it. That's that's the question for us. Conflict is inevitable. It's, it's going to happen. It's certain. Conflict is certain. The, what we have an option in is how we're going to deal with that conflict. So don't go into life saying, well, I am just hope I never have conflict. Because that, that's just naive. You're going to have conflict. So here's where your choice comes. How am I going to deal with that conflict? What are we going to do? Our options are basically the same as, as Abram's. We can lie. 
We can deceive. We can seek our own interests. We can use our, our own wisdom and say, ah, I know how to deal with this conflict. We can get angry. We can yell and scream and kick. And then when the dust settles, we kind of feel like, okay, I think I won. I'm, I'm the winner here. Or we get so angry that we just cut off relationships. We say, oh, I'm so mad at that person, I'm just never talking to them again. Or maybe we just kind of, conflict comes and we and we fold our arms and we say, well, you know what? I mean, it's it's their problem. If they have an issue with me, they can come and talk to me. They have my phone number. They know where I live. They know the problem. They can come and deal with it. That's what we do so often. I think sometimes we do that just because we just don't want to deal with it. Conflict comes up and I just, well, maybe it'll blow over. And sometimes it blows over. Sometimes we think it blows over. But there's another option. There's another option for dealing with conflict. And here we're going to see that Abram learned his lesson in Egypt. He's learned how to trust God. He's learned how to have faith, and he's learned how that can, how that will help him in this journey that he has. So we saw the, the sources and the certainty of conflict, and now we're going to find that faith resolves conflict. Faith resolves conflict. Read verses 8 through 10 with me. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Let's actually just stop right there, those two verses. This is Abram's response. Conflict arises, and Abram, this, this is what we find Abram doing. So how does faith resolve Conflict In the life of Abraham, Abram, here's what we see. First, faith acts first. Faith acts first. Abram doesn't ignore the conflict. He doesn't pretend that it doesn't exist. He hears there's conflict, and he acts. He deals with it. He goes to Lot, identifies the problem, and says, hey, let's deal with this. There's conflict, I'm hearing, and we, got, we have to deal with it. Isn't it easier just to deal with conflict by letting it blow over? Let's just, let's just not talk about it and sometimes it feels like that works it works in the sense that i don't have to deal with it but we assume that our spouse is over the conflict just like we are but it's actually still it's still there it's still fresh in their mind we don't talk to a co-worker and they're over it but we still are mad at them and we hold this this grudge against them we're still angry about something we wait for the other person to take the first steps towards reconciliation and then days and Weeks and months and sometimes years pass. And there's never been reconciliation because no one will take the first step. What faith does, though, is it realizes that conflict has to be dealt with. It has, there has to be resolution. There has to be restoration. It's, it's difficult. I mean, we would rather just wait. Let's just wait till it, it blows over. But as Christians, what are we called to be? We're called to be peacemakers. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers were to be the people who act first in all situations. Matthew 5 says, you remember that where it says, if you go to worship and you have something between you and your brother, go and deal with it first and then come back and worship. So if I've wronged my brother and it comes up in my mind, it's my responsibility. i got to go and deal with it. Then later on in Matthew 18, he says, if your brother has done something that's offended you, you need to go to them and bring it out and help them to see where they have failed. So, 
here's here's the thing. In all situations, we act first. Whether we have sinned against someone else or someone has sinned against us, we are called to be the ones that go and say, hey, I hear there's a conflict. Let's not fight. I love the words of Abram. He starts, he just says, let there be no strife between you and me. He says, let's not fight. I, I don't want to fight. I don't want there to be conflict between us. So whether it's your sin or the sin of others, we are called to be reconcilers. We are called to be the ones that go. We are to be the peacemakers. Faith acts first. Faith resolves conflict by acting first. Not only does faith act first, but faith values relationship. Faith values relationship. Look at, look at. He says, "Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen." Why? For we are kinsmen. Abram says, "We're family, Lot. We can't be fighting like this. There shouldn't be strife between us. We're family." He doesn't look at, at what's what's before him. He doesn't look at his at the land and say, "Well, I got to protect the land because this is supposed to be my land." He doesn't look at his cattle and say, "Well." I got to have space for my cattle because these are my cattle and I don't want Lot encroaching on it. He doesn't decide, well, am I right? Do I have more of a right to the land than Lot does? Or or should I be nice? He, he doesn't he doesn't look at any of that stuff. He looks at this relationship and he says, We we are family. We can't we can't fight like this. We gotta this relationship is more important than anything else that might be there. When conflict arises, we have this tendency to become more concerned with our rights. Uh, than with the relationship. We have more concern with being right than we do with the relationship. We're willing to sacrifice people for what we think we deserve. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. We're not willing, like we read this morning, we're not willing to, to give our, our our coat and the shirt off our back. We're not willing to, to walk the extra mile with people. We watch out for number one. We want to make sure that things are okay for us first. Abram says, no, there's there's relationship here. This is, this is my nephew. We're family. I can't just let this, this continue. I think that's true for our families that we are blood relatives with, but it's true for this church family too, isn't it? That we look and we say, we can't fight. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. We have the same father. Jesus is our older brother. How could we fight? We can't fight. Let there be no strife between us. Let's not have any quarreling because we're family. Faith acts first. Faith Values relationship. I think that leads well into this third one. Faith submits to sovereignty. Faith submits to sovereignty. Can you believe what what Abram does here? Verse nine is not the whole land before you. He says, "Lot, it's all out here. If if you go if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Just take your pick, Lot. Do you do whatever you want. You, you can have any any piece of the land you want, and I will get out of your way." What isn't that amazing? He's not he's not worried about this threat that, that Lot poses because he's he's learned. Remember what he's learned? He's learned that God's word is true, that God has promised, I will give you the land, Abram. I will take care of it. And he knows that Pharaoh, Lot, anyone else, no one can stand between him and the promises of God. God has said he will do it, and he will take care of him. So he goes as far as to take his fate, to take his future, and he places it in the hands of Lot. He says, Lot, you decide what I'm going to do. Because he knows by taking it and saying, Lot, you make the decision, that he's actually saying, God, you make the decision. Because he knows Lot's not in control. Lot, Lot can't make the decision contrary to what God wants. And so he says, Lot, you do whatever you want. And in saying, Lot, you choose, he's saying, God, 
You make the decision. You resolve this conflict. I will sit, I will step back and let you take care of it completely. He trusts God's sovereignty. Quite a unique way to deal with conflict, isn't it? I mean, usually we want to we want to hold our cards close. If you got some sort of power, if you have some sort of sway over someone, you gotta you gotta hold on to that. Abram takes everything that he has, all the cards in his hands, and he says, "They're all yours, Lot. Do whatever you want," because he knows God is in control. When we do that, we give we give power. When we give power over to other people, we're not giving power to them. We're giving power to God to make the decision. Now, that's not to be lazy and say, "Well, I'm just not going to do the work. You make the decision." You know, sometimes when you're having a fight about a restaurant, you say, well, I don't want to decide. You just decide. Well, and then when they pick a restaurant, you say, well, I don't really want to go there anyways. So it's not something like that. It's, it's, it's saying, you, I, I'm play, you, you do what you want. I know that you want to make this decision. You make it, and I, and I will do whatever you choose differently. Faith, faith trusts God. It trusts that he's going to accomplish his will no matter what. And what arises in our mind right now is, yeah, but what if they take advantage of me, you know? I mean, what if they what if they steal from me? What if they, what if they harm me? What if what if what if? And again, in those situations, we have to say, Do I trust God? Do I trust that God is my Father? That He will do what is best for me? That He will glorify Himself, even if I give everything over to them? If that's true, if we believe that, then we have nothing to worry about. If God is for us, who could be against us? So faith acts first. Faith values relationship. Faith submits to sovereignty. And I think in all of this, just overarching it, is that faith seeks the glory of God. Faith seeks the glory of God. That's what that's what Abram is most concerned about here. Abram can't sit back and do nothing because he knows that if this conflict persists, or if they deal with it wrongly, then God will not be glorified. Abram can't say that let this broken relationship exist because he knows that God's goodness and God's glory won't shine through that. And not only that, but the, the Canaanites and the Perizzites are in the land. They see what's going on. They know who Lot and Abram are, I'm sure. And they see this conflict. How are they going to deal with this? Are they going to fight like we do? Is there going to be a war between Lot and Abram? Abram submits to God's sovereignty. He gives God the opportunity to show his strength, to show how powerful he is. It's true for us, those of us who claim to worship God. Resolving conflict with the eyes of faith glorifies God because faith takes this opportunity. There's, this, there's an opportunity here for sin and for strife and for, for Satan to be triumphant, for Satan to look great. Look at how I crush these two guys that are supposedly followers of God. But faith says, here's an opportunity for sin to be in control. I'm going to take it and I'm going to let God be glorified in the midst of it. Conflict can so often lead to to us not glorifying God, to us glorifying ourselves and to making God look silly. How how often do churches split and have conflict in a public eye and everyone says, they say they're supposed to love each other. They say love your neighbor as yourself. Look at the way that they're fighting. When conflict arises in the church, if we would if we would take this step where we're we're worried about ourselves and we're we're walking with um, with not with eyes of faith but we're looking at what we can see, if we would say we're not going to go that way, we're going to we're going to go this way, we're going to trust God and hope that He is glorified in it, then He is glorified as we take something that that should in every other circumstances when the world deals with it, it results in strife, it results in conflict, it results in in anger, and we take this and and use it as something that glorifies God. God can be glorified even in that. 
So now what? Abram is Abram. We, we saw the the sources, the certainty of conflict. We saw how faith deals with conflict. But what's going to happen? I mean, Abram's just. I mean, he's he's responded in faith, but he's also given everything over to Lot. I mean, what's Lot going to do? What's what's the resolution to the conflict? Let's read the rest of the chapter. Let's let's just go ahead and start in verse eight and read those again. Then Abram said to Lot, "Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left." And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which, is, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Well, if Abram walked by faith, what's Lot doing? Looks like he's walking by sight. Some say that Lot's decision wasn't right or wrong. It was just the decision that he, he made. But I really think that there's some clues in this text that make his decision look look foolish, look self-centered. You see the theme of separation. There's, there's this idea here. Abram first says, separate yourself from me. And then we see... Um, at the end of verse 11, thus they separated from each other. And then verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, by choosing to go away from Abram, he separated himself from, from Abram. He separated himself from the man that God has called, from, from God's man, the man that is blessed. Abram is taking himself and saying, I'm not going to be with you, Abram. I'm going to go somewhere else. It just doesn't seem like a wise thing to do. He separates himself. And where does he go? He looks at the Jordan Valley. And what was the Jordan Valley like? It says it was watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So this was a beautiful land. It says at the end that this was before the Lord, Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So the, what's implied there is God is going to destroy Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. That's foreshadowing. But before that happened, this land was beautiful. I mean, it was lush. It was the place to be if you had if you had um, livestock but there's also these hints it was like the garden of the lord it was like the land of egypt it was like those in that it was fertile it was good land but it was also like the garden of the lord and like the land of egypt in that it was it was a place of temptation the garden of the lord speaking of, of eden yes it was fertile but that's where the fall happened the land of egypt yeah i mean it was a great place to go but what just happened in Egypt? There weren't a whole lot of good things going on there. And so there seems to be this, he's looking, he's seeing, he sees with eyes that, 
not eyes of faith, but he sees just from a worldly perspective, he says, hey, this is a good place for my flocks. This is a good place for me to get rich. It says that he journeys east. It's interesting throughout the first 12 chapters here of the book of Genesis, journeying east is never really a good thing. What happens when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden? Where do they go? They go east. There's this theme of, of moving east. It just doesn't seem to be the best move. He journeys out of the promised land. If you if you can envision in your mind um, the land of Egypt, or the land of Egypt, I'm sorry, the promised land, um, if you were to look at your map, you would see, I'll try to do it in reverse, you would see the, the Mediterranean here, okay? That's the Mediterranean Sea, and then you would see kind of the, the Sea of Galilee with the Jordan River coming down and then the Dead Sea, right? This land in the middle here, is that clear at all? Maybe not at all. But this land in the middle here is the land of Canaan. This is the land of promise. They're down here on just next to the to the Dead Sea, and they look out, and Lot decides to go on the other side of the Dead Sea. So he's he's heading, it seems, outside of the promised land. He's on the south, the southeast side of the Dead Sea. He's he's out of the land of promise. Now there's some some of that's that's debated as far as was that the land of promise. But even as you look at the text, what's it say? It says they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. He 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 leaves the land of promise. He leaves the place that God had promised to give them, and he and he goes to this to this other area. Not only that, he places himself in a place that's notorious for their for their wickedness. We have this foreshadowing that they're going to be destroyed, but look at how Sodom is described in verse 13. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, okay? That's bad enough, right? They were wicked. They were sinners, okay? Now they're wicked sinners. They were wicked, great sinners. They're wicked, great sinners against the Lord. This is not a great place to be. Let's go to Sodom, the place of wicked, great sinners against the Lord. I mean, every sin is against the Lord, right? But it's specifically pointed out here that their sin is is in the face of God. But what Lot didn't see that. What did Lot see? He saw green pastures. He, he saw this great place for his flock. He says, this will be a good land to go to. It was from a worldly perspective. He says, yes, this is good. He makes the decision based solely on that. And when he gets there, he realizes, wait a minute, I'm gets influenced by by the land of Sodom and this is so much foreshadowing of what happens so we see Lot working with eyes of faith I mean I mean Abram with eyes of faith and Lot now um, is walking by sight but what does the Lord say to Abram we, we see that we see what what Lot does and then we hear the voice of God there's some parallels here if you put your eyes on the text here, verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look. That's what that's what Lot had done. Verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. And, and so God says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Look northward and southward and eastward and westward. Where did Lot look? He looked in one place. He looked to the Jordan Valley. But God says, I want you to look all around you. I want you to look north and south and east and west for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever 
God affirms the promise again. This isn't new information to Abram, but it is a confirmation of what has just happened. It's almost like God says, you did the right thing. This is, this is right, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you the land that's to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. You're going to have all of it. Not only that, I'm going to bless you with offspring, just like I told you I would. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Again, that's an allusion to the, to the land. It's going to be like the dust of the earth, that if anyone can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. And then he says, Abram, take a tour. Go through the length and breadth of the land. Look at everything because it's all yours. This is your land. I'm giving it to you because you believe, because you are a man of faith, because you are walking in the way that you're supposed to. God blesses Abram. And so Abram, again, follows. Abram moved his tent, came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Those are, those are bookends in the passage. What did, how did the passage start? with Abram going back up between Bethel and Ai to the altar he had built and worshiping the Lord. And now he picks up where he left off at the end of chapter 12, and he travels further, and he says, i got to build another altar. I'm going to worship the Lord one more time. Faith receives the blessing of God. Abram submits himself to God, and in faith he lets Lot take control of the future, and in doing that he lets God take control. And what God does is he takes Lot out of the picture he takes lot and and because of lot's poor decision he ends up down in sodom outside of the land of canaan what could lot have done i you know i wonder if lot would have said you know what you're right abram there's too much stuff i'm going to submit to you i want to i don't want to separate uh, matt and i were talking he said what if he would have responded um like ruth with naomi when ruth says no i'm not leaving because your god is my god and your people will be my people what if lot would have done that I think he would have stayed in the land. He would have been blessed with Abram, but instead he said, no, I'm going to leave. I'm going to look out for myself. But when Abram walks in faith, God confirms you. You're doing what is right, and I will give this all to you. I will bless you. So this is an interesting passage, isn't it? I just was struck by the beauty of it, of how applicable it is to us in our everyday lives, because we deal with conflict. Conflict is inevitable. Whether it arises because of all the stuff that we have, or because of the space that we live in, however it arises, we don't have a choice about whether or not we're going to face conflict in this life. You will face conflict. The choice is how are we going to deal with it? Will we be, will we be peacemakers? Are we going to be the people that act first? When conflicts arise, we say, we've we got to deal with this right now. I'm going to be a peacemaker. Are we going to value relationships above our rights? Will we go and say, listen, we can't fight. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're family. We can't fight like this. We value relationship above everything else. Are we going to trust God's sovereignty? Will we take a situation and we'll, and we'll put ourselves into a vulnerable place that says, you know what, I'm going to put your rights above mine. I'm going to let you take the lead because I trust that God is going to deal right. And in doing that, are we going to seek to, to honor God, to glorify God, to lift him up in the midst of conflict? We have a choice. We can either see ourselves lifted up, we can walk by sight and say, this is what's going to be best for me and this is what I'm going to choose to do. Or when conflict arises, we say, wow, this is an opportunity either for sin to reign or I can use this and God can be glorified even in the midst of conflict. This is what faith does. Faith says, even in the midst of this terrible situation, God can be 
glorified. I pray that as a church, as Grace Fellowship Church, this is this would be who we are. We, the words of Abram would be on our mouths all the time. We would say, hey, let's not fight. Let, let there be no quarreling among us. You wouldn't have to say it like that. Sounds a little archaic, doesn't it? But you just say, I don't want to fight. I don't want to argue. We're, we're brothers and sisters. What do you want to do? I'm going to give control over to you. Let's, let's see God glorified in the midst of this conflict. And if we do that, we're not just following in Abram's footsteps, right? We, we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. Again, Jesus keeps showing up as the better Abram. You think about what, what God has done to deal with conflict through the gospel. It's like the, the Father, there, there's conflict between God the Father and us because of sin. Sin has caused a separation. It's caused a rift. It's caused a break in relationship, not because of anything that God has done, but because we have rebelled. We have, we have sinned. But what does God do? He acts first. He takes the initiative. He says, I'm going to set in place a plan to bless all nations through Abram's seed. And he gets to the place of, of sending his own son, of laying down his rights. And then Jesus comes and Jesus lays down his rights completely. He submits himself to the sovereignty of God. He places his, himself in the hands of sinful people. He allows the crucifixion to happen because he knows that in doing that, he says, you couldn't do anything except my Father would let you do this. And, and they are not in control. Jesus is in complete control, but he submits himself and says, you do whatever you want. And in doing that, God is glorified, and he accomplishes reconciliation between us and God by laying down his rights, submitting himself to the sovereignty of God because he knows God is in control. And then God blesses him. God blesses him like he does with Abram. And he says, I'm going to give you a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When he submits himself to the will of the Father, God raises him up and blesses him. And when we deal with conflict, with eyes of faith, rather than eyes that, that just look on the outward appearance, we, we proclaim the gospel. We live out the truth of the gospel to the world. We let them see and we push others towards Christ rather than away from him. I pray that he would give us the strength to do that. It's only by faith. It's only as God gives us the eyes to see this that we can do it. Otherwise, we'll deal with conflict the same way that the world does. But might we be unique? Might we be like Abram? And might we be like Jesus and lay down our rights to see God glorified even in the midst of conflict? Before we have our closing song, let's let's do our moment of silence now. And as I've been preparing for this, just praying, because I don't know everyone's heart. But it could be, I, I don't know that, that God is bringing someone to mind. You, you just think about a conflict that happened in the past, and it's gone on for too long. And there continues to be strife between you and someone else, and God is impressing on your heart to deal with that, that you need to make a phone call or go to someone's house this afternoon or or just talk to a spouse or, or to a brother or a sister or someone here in this church. you got to deal with that conflict. Or even just in general, then God might be saying, you know what, you, you don't act first when conflict comes about. You just like to sit back and not deal with it, and I'm calling you to deal with it. So let's bow our heads and take a moment of silence and allow God's Spirit to apply this passage in specific ways to our lives.
Lord God, we confess that we often walk by sight and not by faith. That we're more concerned about our stuff and our space than we are about relationships. That we are worried about what could happen to us rather than how you could be glorified even in the midst of conflict. That we confess that, Lord. And ask that you would forgive us. Help us to be like Abram. And more importantly, help us to be like Jesus. We want to glorify you even in this. But I pray if there are people, myself or others here, that we need to to do something, that we need to change because of what we've read this morning, that there are actions that need to happen in our lives, Lord, that we would have the faith and the courage to, to do it, to do what you have called us to do. Well, thank you for your word. It is so often like a hammer, like a sword that, that pierces us, but it is also so sweet and so life-giving. So thank you for speaking to us, for not being silent. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.